Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and it's my absolute pleasure to be introducing you to the spectacular robotics and AI community in Australia. Continuing our talk of the WAI winners of 2022, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Simona Miata today. She's a senior lecturer at the University of Technology. She's founder of the Future Mobility Lab. She's also an industry-focused academic delivering value for people living in smart cities via her strong engagement with the government and several industry partners. Simona, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, it's a pleasure. First up, congratulations with being the winner in the AI and Infrastructure Award. Um, absolutely amazing accolade for all your work. Thank you, that, that was indeed a surprise and it, um, um, it, it was a good surprise, so thank you for that. <laughs> I love good surprises. Tell us a little bit about your journey and all your successes. Um, all right, a little bit about myself. Um, I started actually as, um, um, as a student in the Polytechnical University of Bucharest. I'm originally from Romania. And after I finished and graduated, um, I had this Erasmus scholarship um, to a research laboratory in France. It was called Gypsy Lab. Uh, and that's where I started my research and academic journey, I would say. Um, the, the first project that I started on was really to monitor elders' activity that were living alone in order to predict when their health is going to decline and in order to be able to help them, whether there are any risky risky activities like um, falling on the floor or um, other events that might impact their health. And from that moment onward, I embarked on a journey of a PhD thesis. I finished my PhD thesis. Um, I also worked as research assistant teaching and doing research um, in, in the north part of France, University of Lorraine. And then in 2015, I moved to Australia. I wanted to have international experience and learn from one of the best researchers in the world. Um, and I slowly, slowly started to invest myself more on the traffic control, traffic optimization. And as Australia is really on, the, on this huge curve of data science, I invested myself even more and more from pure statistic modeling to more data science driven models and then artificial intelligence applied to solve mobility issues. Um, and from that moment onwards, I have to say that I, I really invested myself into these topics. And um, along the journey, I've been involved in quite some few interesting projects that, that led me to where I am today at UTS. Um, leading the Future Mobility Lab, uh, which is composed of um, senior um, academics together with PhD students and students working together to really make our transport and mobility in the city a little bit better. So your time in France, uh, studying, it always fascinates me when people go to different countries and study in different languages. How did you handle, or do you, are you fluent in French? Tell me a little bit about this. I did learn French when I was um, in high school. However, learning a language at school and then practicing the language are two different things. 
So the first thing when I went to, and I started my PhD studies in, in France, it was to really enroll in a French class in order to learn the, the, the accent and you know the, the, um, the, the correct expressions. And that helped me a lot. So after that point onward, I, especially as all my communication was in French and all my reports were in French, some of my papers were written in French as well. And my PhD was written in French. So I really had to step up my game and, <laughs> and learn French and, and, and yes, communicate. Well, congratulations. Absolutely fantastic that you were able to do it. Your research focuses to improve people's movement via artificial intelligence in, in a smart city context. Can you explain to our audience what a smart city is and how AI is applied in this context? Yes. So um, by definition, a smart city is really um, this modern space that uses a lot of technology to collect data. Uh, data that comes from any piece of public transportation or any building or any utility that we might have in a city. Um, however, in reality, I would like to call smart cities a place where we can, technology can make people's life better. Uh, and what do I mean by saying that? There are a few examples of how we can leverage all the data that is being generated in a smart city context to, to really improve the way we live in. And I'll just follow with, with some short examples based on the projects that we have been working on um, to give a clear picture. So um, at the moment, there's lots of data being generated by either the, the, the modes that, that we choose to travel to and from work, the neighborhoods that we live in, um, the socioeconomic uh, factors of uh, the entire city, um, etc. So we need to make use of all this data in order to really make better decisions. For example, one of the major problems that you can solve via artificial intelligence algorithms is to learn, for, for example, from all sorts of disruptions into the city and predict, for example, how long incidents will last um, this is extremely helpful in order to be able to plan, manage, reroute your journey in case you are being disrupted on a Monday morning so you don't have to be stuck in traffic for hours. So really applying AI in order to find out where accidents can happen, their severity, and how long they can last, it's actually a fantastic outcome for both um, the people that use the technology, but also for transport planners. Um, uh, with regards to public transport delay as well, um, there is when we don't have disruptions, however, sometimes we experience transport delays into the network simply because of this recurrent congestion that can happen. A lot of uh, people on the road uh, that need to get to the same destination. So in order to be able to optimize um, how well buses, trains, ferries, light rails function, we need to be able to understand via data-driven modeling where the delay is being captured and why in order to really adjust either the timetable or to supplement the services into the city that can service better the people. Um, so really predicting using AI how long traffic delay will last, where it happens, it's a powerful asset. Another important um, um, aspect is the traffic control. So all the intersections in our cities 
have a specific um, traffic control system that works in order to, to make sure that our journey is well interconnected. However, when these disruptions occurred, it's not an easy task, especially when you have multiple in parallel across the city. So being also, building all sorts of optimization algorithms that can be applied in parallel across multiple affected location sites can give you a better outcome and a, 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 a better um, a suggestion of how you should adjust your green, red, yellow lights. Uh, there are a few other examples um, that I would like to say either. We recently started looking at driving behavior data. And this is quite an interesting data set because it tells you uh, where people are really accelerating too fast or really decelerating in a dangerous um, way, which can lead to accidents. Um, so there are specific areas in the city which we found out that there are more prone to risky driving behavior. And this is extremely powerful for traffic agencies to understand why, what is causing people stress when they're driving. Is it the driving um, conditions, the road planning ahead, the traffic control, or there are some other factors that might be stressing drivers inside those regions and so on. I can go on continuously, but really it's about ingesting all the data that comes from the modes that we travel with and making sure that we train the appropriate models that can predict or give us an insight of what is happening in the moment and what can happen in the next five minutes, 10, uh, 30 minutes, one hour from now on. If you're talking about the driver's behavior, how is the data captured? Um, this is really about um, capturing all the data from real-time transmission of, of vehicles. Um, they're being called connected vehicles. They really send their positioning with a high frequency um, every few minutes and some of them even every few seconds. Basically, is um, collecting all this real-time transmission which tells you the speed, the direction, the acceleration, the acceleration, the g-force, etc. These are all parameters that can tell you whether a vehicle is respecting the speed on a specific road that is traveling to um, or not. Uh, and in case there are some, some risky combination of deceleration, changing direction or changing lane, then immediately this gets flagged as a risky driving behavior, which should not happen on the type of road that this vehicle was um, circulating on. And basically it tells us um, uh, that we can mark it as a special event, risky driving event. Simone, I should have spoken to you before I was invited on Zoe Ether's podcast about, she hosts the Smart Cities podcast and she asked me this question, what did I consider to be a smart city? And I've probably moved about 38 times in my life. And I see to her, um, the first thing I do when I come to a new suburb or city is I see how easy it is to live in a place and how, what's the transport, where the doctors, where the parks. I mean, I think that's probably the most simplistic um, smart city uh, description that you could have of course it's all about the data on the next level so you would be probably looking at it in several levels how you analyze a city what is considered a smart city absolutely i totally agree and if you think about you can have like static layers where you can capture simply the layouts of the city and you know like how easy it is to get from point a to point b but then, just like you mentioned, you have um, another real-time layer with all the entities moving around, the transport, the services, et cetera. 
Um, so it, 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 we can actually have data from IoT sensors that are being placed on buildings or on specific locations to measure air quality, to measure temperature. Uh, these are also part of the, the smart city approach because it tells us more information about what is happening. One interesting project that I did in France was really to use mobile sensors to capture the air quality that people circulating um, in congested areas um, experience um, and uh, measuring their air quality, for example, in the morning. Um, how good is the air that they're breathing in the morning when they're dropping their kids to, um, to school uh, and so on. And we found out that at human level, the air quality um, pollution levels uh, are actually five times higher than the reported standard pollution layers um, uh, levels, which are captured maybe at, at three floors up in the air, not at human level. So realizing that as a citizen, um, just walking into your city, you can be exposed to several um, <laughs> a fine particle and other pollution uh, concentrations makes you really wonder uh, how you're going to plan your next trip and whether you're going to pass again through those um, congested area or highly polluted areas. So yes, it's, it's really um, getting feedback from the place you live in in order to make uh, smarter decisions. So in planning a new city, do city planners work in conjunction with the Future Mobility Lab? Do they approach and say, look, we, we're busy planning this um, new extension here. Give us some input. Yes, we often give feedback and we often run um, various um, simulation models in order to showcase the impact of specific decisions or specific placement um, of services into the city. There's a huge uptake and interest at the moment with regards to the impact of on-demand and connected vehicles, connected autonomous vehicles. Where should we place them? How they should be utilized? Um, given that this is a new transportation mode and at the moment we don't have any data that is currently being generated from this type of service, um, building simulation model with hypothetical scenarios can help us to really have those insights to make better informed decisions where you should place that service and um, so that people can reach it um, earlier. If a city has already been built, um, is there any way to improve its smart city um, status? Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, there are a lot of projects that look at, um, I should say, an uplift of existing places in order to transform them into more, into smart places or eco-friendly neighborhoods. Um, this was a typical example, um, again, in France, where the, the old historical center was um, put through this huge transformation of um, becoming an ecological neighborhood that meets, um, that has really low levels of air pollution, uh, where people can, can um, easily walk inside the neighborhood and they can have easy access to all the transport modes and services. In order to do that, there was really uh, a lot of um, um, studies and experts that have been brought together in order to um, 
make decision, decisions, where should we shift around the services? Where should we redesign and how should we redesign the entire, for example, parking accessibility for people? So it was really like a long, um, long term strategic collaboration um, project in which a lot of experts have been brought together, designers, architects, with traffic planners, with researchers that all work together uh, as a team in order to really make the best um, the best reshape of that neighborhood. So yes, all neighborhoods, already existing cities can become smart cities um, with the help of a multidisciplinary team that can work together to, yeah. to, 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 yeah, to find the best solution. So there is, there, there is hope for cities that you look at them and you go, you're the least smart city that we can see, but we can make adjustments. Tell us a little bit about your work with the Australian-Singapore Strategic Collaboration by Joint NRF ARC linkage project. You know, if I think of Singapore, that to me is an example of a smart city. Absolutely. Um, so uh, this started from um, a joint um, um, governmental strategy that was launched in 2016. It was called the Australia-Singapore Strategic Partnership that really was put together to um, improve the relationship uh, at all levels between Australia and Singapore economically uh, from a, a research and innovation perspective and so on. So just in 2017, I was part of a delegation put together by CSIRO that traveled to Singapore. And we sat down with the A-star representatives, um, which is the equivalent of CSIRO with multiple universities from Singapore, just to lay down the problems that Australia is currently facing and also Singapore um, is facing. And after this, this joint talks, which lasted quite a few hours, we were really able to, to drill down into those pain points. And we realized that um, one of the biggest issues that both countries have is really not knowing how to handle um, disruptions at the centralized level across multiple modes. So whenever traffic incidents happen, what, it, what gets done is that the traffic um, operators, which have on the field experience, they make decisions, right? How to intervene, but it's really um, a single focus and a single dedication target. Say, for example, if there is an incident happening happening on a train, they will make all their best to really clear off that train and that's it. The rest of the modes are not synchronized. Um, if there is some service replacement, this is not being done. So priority is put down the fire first and then uh, see how we can recover to a regular traffic condition. Um, it actually happened the same in Australia. So it's really about um, making use of all the data that we can get from all the transport modes in order to be able to build a centralized uh, response to disruptions across multiple modes. So not just um, the disruptions across the trains, but also how it will impact the bus services and vice versa, how a disruption, how a car accident will impact um, the bus services, but also the interconnection with trains and so on. So it's really building that interconnected multimodal transport system, which can be um, become resilient to disruptions. So that's how the whole idea was put together. And then we, we, we put together a, a team and we, we, um, we submitted proposal to both the National Research Foundation of Singapore and also to the Australian Research Council 
and both got accepted, which gave us, um, I think, in both countries around $2 million to really work on this, on, on this project. Uh, it took two years to build, and so the good things never come easy, right? Um, so, and now the project um, has been accepted, started, and it's ongoing, where we are regularly meeting with the Singapore um, partners, mostly with the um, NUS um, and NTU, Nanyang Technology University and uh, National University of Singapore. So we're learning from them a lot, and they're learning from us as well. Congratulations. You know, I think if if we actually started appreciating how complex our world is, it's a wonder we actually do as well as we do. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll just stay in bed, Simona, like we, we can't face it ourselves. <laughs> so we, we touched a little bit on traffic a little bit earlier. Yeah. Talk to us about the Premier's Innovation Initiative that you've worked on. Yes, uh, the Premier Innovation Initiative um, started um, in 2015 and uh, slowly, slowly. Uh, at that time, I was um, part of CSIRO, um, Data 61. And it was really a project that looked for the first time, honestly, um, in Australia at the strategy of fusing multiple data sources in order to really reduce congestion at the city level. So before that, before this initiative, there, all the data sets were kept in silos separately. So there was no really interconnection between the data that is coming you know, from the traffic control system, the data that is coming from the bus um, systems and so on. So everything was disconnected. They had their own um, systems. There was not uh, any there was not an initiative that would integrate all of them together in order to make informed decisions. So that was actually the first project that was put together to really integrate and fuse these multiple data sets to make better decisions. And it was a fantastic collaboration with the Traffic Management Center um, uh, in Sydney. We learned a lot of the, from, about the problems and, and, and the strategies that they apply in order to, to deal with specific events. Uh, and eventually this led, um, uh, this, this continued further on and it led to the creation of what is called the ICMP program, the Intelligence Congestion Management Program, in which really transport took it up to a next level of really integrated everything. So uh, it really triggered, right, the, the, the further strategic decision to, to build an integrated monitoring platform. And I'm, I'm happy to see that this had had an impact on the current um, procedures and decisions that are being made to really manage congestion. So I know who we'll thank when I come to Sydney when everything's going very smoothly for me. I will contact you and tell you, Samana, you've done your job well. <laughs> um, oh, the, the traffic congestion problem is really one that, it, 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 how should I say, it's not an easy one to tackle, um, mostly because of the stochasticity and um, everyone's behavior um, inside the city is random. This, this, we can definitely generate patterns, but what's happening is that the, the, the entire city system, it, it's really working on a random kind of adaptive way to people's needs. So this makes it very hard. Uh, one day you might learn how to manage and optimize your service for the east side, however, 
the west side can be completely um, uh, disorganized and so on. So it, it, it's it's really an ongoing, always changing system that needs continuous attention and monitoring. So I think the first steps have been done into this one, but I think there's also a lot more that can be done. Talk to us a little about the award and what this means to you. First up, um, I've asked all my previous questions, I guess this question, did you, were you nominated or did you nominate yourself? Not that there's any difference in me, but I'm, I'm trying to create an ethos for women that if they're not nominated, that they're brave and they step up and they nominate themselves. I was encouraged to nominate myself because um, initially I was reluctant. Um, I, after returning from maternity leave last year, I felt like I need to catch up with a lot of things. So there were so many things for me to really work upon. And I was really not sure that I would be a best fit. However, uh, my, my current um, uh, supervisor, Professor Fang Chen, was always encouraging me, go ahead, give, give it a try. You never know. Like what, what's, what's worse? If you don't get it, you don't get it. Uh, at the end of the day, there's no harm. And she was always telling me, trust in yourself. I mean, you, you just go for it, try your luck. And then after some consideration, I was thinking, okay, well, all right, let's try it. It doesn't matter. Uh, the, the most important part is the journey. So yeah, I said, okay, let's give it a go. Um, and it was, it, it's, a, it, it, it's a different type of award because it really questions you about your entire career path and your journey. Uh, your professional journey, where you started, where you are now, and it actually made me think of a lot of moments and a lot of steps that I had to take and where I am now. So overall, as an experience of writing this whole, um, this whole application for award was really revealing to me. What it means to me, uh, it, it actually means that um, hard work pays off in the long term and really we should continue to pursue our dreams, no matter how hard the road becomes and no matter how many challenges we're facing um, in our career. Um, um, most definitely this success is not just my success. It's a combination of all the people that I work with. So all my team, the Future Mobility Lab, the support in the UTS Data Science Institute where I am and always encouraging me to, to keep, keep going keep improving myself as an academic, as a scientific um, person. Um, I mean, I'm being shaped by all the students that I've met throughout the years, by, by my mentors in France, by, by, by my professors back in Romania. I, I'm, I'm really shaped by all the, the people that I've worked with and interacted. So for me, it's really, it, it, it's an award that, that um, confirms that you have been surrounded by good people that helped you, that that always encouraged you to keep going and never give up. Um, as an academic, and especially as a uh, as a woman in academia, um, it's very hard to um, be consistent across the years simply because life gets in the way. And a lot of time, a lot of academic women, they postpone their personal lives in order to really you know continue having their their um their academic positions or having international experience and so on which usually takes time to build uh, so after we normally graduate for us there's an ongoing at least five seven eight years even more where we keep learning and we keep 
keep interacting with with other experts on the field so the journey it's a it's a long journey it's a, it's like a marathon <laughs> it's not like a sprint um so across this long journey of course uh, the, the changing countries and changing jobs changing teams changing topics can be quite challenging and can be quite um intimidating uh, so it's really a confirmation that well done you you stayed on the, on the track you made it so it, it's really the whole efforts across this years finally paid off um so what i hope it means that that and i hope that this award actually encourages other women to believe and and um always work on themselves and their passion and their dreams and uh, their stem career never give up no matter how hard it might it might seem um and always surround themselves with people that encourage them that that believe in them um i think this is a this is really something that can inspire other women and girls and who knows even my daughter hopefully uh this can be a lesson for her uh, when she grows up to really learn that she can achieve anything she wants as long as she's being consistent put, put putting hard work and dedication to her dreams anything is possible you know, you've given such good feedback that I'm immediately going to pass on to Andra for any woman that the whole process of the actual application has made you pause to reflect on, you know, your accomplishments and how well you've done. You've been able to sit down and identify, well, maybe here are areas that I need to pay more attention or do more, a little bit more work at. It's um, it, it is a it, it is quite a, a meaty application, but I think you know that's an unintended. Even if you get nowhere else, if you take it from that point of view, that's absolutely fabulous feedback. Absolutely, exactly. You learn a lot from you. You it it, it actually makes you question yourself, question your your choices, question where you are now, and question what you need to do next to improve yourself. When when you're when you're applying for a award, you you really start to become more self-aware of your strong points, but also your weak points. So you you really um, question yourself and then make a plan, saying, "Oh, if I want to improve myself, okay, these are the points that I should be looking at because maybe I don't have enough experience in I don't know international collaboration, or I don't have enough experience in managing a team, or I so." All this makes you wonder, make, puts you into perspective in thinking about yourself and then making a plan of how to really improve improve your path. Look, to all the women that applied and, and for future women um, that are thinking of doing it, I strongly encourage them to do it because, as you said, um, self-awareness is essential to get along and it doesn't mean... Um, you look, I say it doesn't mean you're deficient or you're lacking because it may very well mean that. But as a person holistic, it gives you opportunities to go on and developing your strengths and your weaknesses and go on. And if you don't have a sort of a mirror to look up to it in the privacy of your own home, that you can sit and look at this form and go, oh my goodness, like seriously, I need to do some work here. Um, where will you be able to do it? Exactly. Yeah. That, that's uh, that's a very good point and i think that um i'm, I'm actually grateful for all the candidates they're, they're fantastic and um one thing that i would like to say is that um it, it's always 
keep trying, keep trying, keep improving yourself, um, keep learning, keep applying, because you never know, like, I mean, you, you never know the context. So maybe in some years, yes, you have strong competition and the, there are more senior people than you. And then, of course, you get this advantage. But then maybe next year, you will be the one shining up. So it's really about always trying and, and, and take it as a, as a, how should I say, a path to know yourself better rather than just, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to compete with everybody. No, it's more about learning about yourself and yeah, putting ourselves out there. And um, if there's a recognition coming back to you, fantastic, great. If not, you learned a lot. So that's also a huge achievement. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Your, um, the ladies that you were in your category were phenomenal women in their own right. So we do have your supervisor to thank for um, encouraging you. So please pass on our thanks. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, Simona, I'm mindful of your time. You've got a hectic schedule. Any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience with today? <laughs> there, are, there are a few words. Is um, I would like to say... I'd like to comment a little bit more on why it's important to give this awards to women and why I'm so happy that this initiative has started and now it's in, it was in the second year and I hope it continues for more years to come. Um, before that, and I, to be honest, um, I, there was no category for women in a specific field or women doing this. And um, as much as we want to believe that a specific moments in our career we can achieve um, similar results um, with men we have to be also realistic that um, women dedicate uh, their time as well to their families a lot more so many times um, women are facing this decision in between oh i need to dedicate my time to my family my kids and I need to stop my career improvement, my career progression. Um, the woman's role in the society in raising our kids is extremely important. So the way we raise our kids, the way we teach them how to grow as person, but also how to grow as professionals is extremely important. Also, the way we can make decisions when we are back into the professional world can also make some some high level strategic views um, to to be more adapted to the current needs that everyone in the society has. So I think that the role that women play in our society is crucial. And I'm so thankful that this initiative really looks at awarding women, awarding women in STEM disciplines, awarding women in AI, awarding women that despite all the challenges that they had to put through, they're still there. And even despite dedicating their time to the family, they still pick themselves up and they still continue. It's a fantastic thing to do. And it, it really helps women to be more confident, believe in themselves and always, always um, improving, improving their professional lives, improving their relationship that they have with their kids and, and their future decisions. So um, I would like to really thank um, the organizers for this initiative. It's a fantastic achievement for all the women are there um, that are working in STEM related disciplines. I just tell them, keep dreaming uh, about your, your professional path, work hard and make sure that your dreams become a reality. And it doesn't matter after how much time, all it matters is that you stay on track. <laughs> 
Samana, that's a wonderful message. And I can't agree with you more. My children are um, adults now. And um, I had a very career driven husband and, you know, we had a very, um, we had a really good uh, agreement between us. He got the bacon, I cooked the bacon. So we had clearly defined roles and I was very, very happy um, for most of my life. I spent raising my kids at home. I, I, I consider I had the idyllic motherhood, but, you know, I suppose for women out there, um, you know, we, we talk about balance and we talk about equality. And I think the main thing is that even at home, you know, with your partner, if you can get them to shoulder a little bit more of the responsibilities that, you know, actually everything starts at home, you know, and for more ba balanced, equal society, everyone, everyone flourishes, everyone does well. It's not a male versus female thing at the end of the day. It's for society, your kids, everyone flourishes. Yes, absolutely agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Agree. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I, I resonate with you a lot. <laughs> oh, so listen, I can hear your little bubs in the background there. Congratulations on, on your award and your little bubs. Um, <laughs> if anyone would like to reach you, and if you haven't uh, linked up with Simona on, on LinkedIn already, please send her an invite or follow her. But um, is there an email address that I could put in the show notes? Absolutely. Um, it's um, a little bit long, but... Uh, oh, don't read it out. I'll put it yeah. in the notes. I'll put it in there for them to reach out. So, because they're going to get lost about somewhere at, and I'll put it in the show notes. Simona, thank you so much for your time. Um, wonderful example. I, I'm going to follow your work. I think um, smart cities, it's a fascinating subject. I think we could spend hours diving really deep into it. So um, enjoy the year of being the recipient of this award and uh, the best of best of best wishes for everything forward for you. Thank you so much for having me and, and thank you for this discussion. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. Um, I look forward to your company next week and have a great day. Mm -hmm.